Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. So uh, yesterday, I did what every uh, good friend would do. I called a friend of mine who had all the necessary equipment to, to tackle a very large um, uh, yard project so that I didn't have to go spend all the money myself on buying all the equipment to do it, only to have to do it one time. So uh, my friend Landon, who's part of our leadership team here, uh, Landon I think is on security today. I think he's out in the lobby. Big tall guy, you'll see him. Uh, Landon's got like all the gadgets and the gizmos. I mean, he's got the, the pole saw and the two different size chainsaws. You know, it's not just like the one. He's got two different ones. And I called him. I said, man, I, I got some trees. I got to take down some limbs. I've got to get down. Could, could you bring over some of your stuff and just help me for a few hours? Well, we ended up, if you drive by my house uh, today, you, you won't hardly see my house because all the branches and everything are, are piled up. Uh, we cut crepe myrtles. And, and if you know anything about overgrown crepe myrtles, you look at it and you go, well, that's not that big until you cut it. And then it's like 15 different things going everywhere. It was awful. And Landon made this profound statement. He probably didn't even realize that he made it, but he made a profound statement as we were getting ready to cut into the very first crepe myrtle. He he made the statement. He said, do you want me to cut the crepe myrtle off at the height of the fence, or do you want me to cut it off at at the base of the tree? And I said, well, what do you recommend? And he said this. He said, If you cut it off at the height of the fence, you're going to have to do it every year. If you cut it off at the base, you won't have to worry about it for a very long time. And the reason why that was very profound to me, one is I don't ever want to do this again. So that was one of the reasons. So we cut it off at the base. But the other reason, and 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 the thought came just like flooding in, is this. And this may surprise you, okay? So this is, man, this is free, but this may surprise you is this, is that living things grow. Living things grow. Now, even if we had cut that crepe myrtle off at the top of the fence, it would have taken it months to begin to, you know, put limbs out that could have flowers back on them again, have those little awful buds that get in my swimming pool and they're just terrible. It would have taken them a while, but they would have continued to grow over time. And just like you in your own personal life, as as you're living your life out, if you want to experience growth in your area, it will take time. And the problem with that is that time is valuable. I would argue that time is the most precious commodity that we have in our lives today. It's not money. It is time. We have a small amount of it every single day. And we have a small amount of it that we can give ourselves to. And so time becomes very, very valuable. And in the area of we talk about following Jesus and spiritual growth that comes from trying to follow Jesus and orient your life around the ways of Jesus Christ, it it can almost seem a little overwhelming. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there was a guy who was a professor at a, at a seminary uh, out west, and he was talking about the fact that he told his wife several months ago, he said, I need four more hours in the day. And she said, well, honey, where are you going to get that from? And he said, I'm just going to have to get up earlier. 
And so I'm not making this up. I'll send you the podcast link so that you don't think this is just some weird preacher story up here. So, so the guy began to condition his body over several months to now wake up at 2.30 in the morning. And he spends four hours from 2.30 to 6.30 every day in prayer and study God's Word. Now, I love Jesus a lot. But I also love sleep a lot. And so we hear stories like that, or maybe you had a grandfather or grandmother who, you know, is that, that old thing about, you know, the carpet on the side of the, the, by the bed was worn from where they just sat in prayer, and you just go, I don't have this much time. The other thing that you learn about spiritual growth with Jesus is that you never arrive. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. You, you never just arrive. And, and one of the reasons why I teach the way that I teach and, and, and I stand up here, and again, we're going to talk about this more in a minute. The, one of the ways, the reasons I teach the way that I do is because I don't believe that on a day-in, day-out basis that information just transforms our lives. It is getting involved in activity of the will of God that transforms our lives. And I'll illustrate it in this way, in a very practical way. Show of hands. How many of you guys know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know this information? Eating healthy and work, working out will make you a healthier person. Raise your hand. Everybody in the room that knows that eating healthy and working out will make you a better person, okay? How many of you regularly eat healthy and work out? Yeah. You see, the information about your diet and exercise does not transform you. It's the waking up early, and it's going to the gym, and it's choosing, you know, the chocolate shake thing that you have to drink over the chocolate ice cream that begins to transform your life. There was a video, it's gotten shared a lot on social media lately, of a, of a speaker, communicator guy named Francis Chan. I love Francis Chan. He's one of the most godly uh, writers and pastors and speakers, and he gave this phenomenal illustration about following Jesus and discipleship. And he said this. He said, he was in a room and he said, how many parents would it be okay with if I looked at my daughter, my, my daughter sitting right here, Emma, if I looked at my daughter and I said this, Emma, I want you to go clean your room. I want you to go clean your room. And about 30 minutes later, she came back and she said, dad, guess what? I memorized what you said. You told me to go clean my room. I memorized it. Aren't you proud of me? Actually, I got on the phone, and we FaceTimed with some of my friends, and we talked about cleaning my room. Aren't you proud, Dad? No, what I've asked her to do is go clean her room, not to just memorize the information. And what's interesting is I've spent the better part of my year this year in my devotional life, doing something that's very different for me. I, I'm going to take my Bible out and mark it all up and, and, and spend, you know, a day or two working through one verse and looking it all up and trying to see exactly what this verse means. And so I decided this year I was going to do something different. I decided this year that what I was going to do is I was going to spend the first several months of the year doing nothing but reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's all I was going to do. And I was going to do it devotional style. I wasn't going to mark in a Bible. I wasn't going to pull out a commentary. I wasn't going to pull out multiple translations and look them all up and see what everybody says. You know, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to sit 
in the quietness of my living room early in the morning with a cup of coffee, and I was going to read about the ministry of Jesus. You know what was interesting about that? Jesus was always oriented towards action. He, he was always orienting his life and his ministry around getting involved in people's life. And he led his disciples to that same way of thinking, that same line of thinking. Is it's not just good enough for us to know what this book says, but we have to begin to put it into practice. We have to begin to live it out in our life. Because, here's the reality, I've been a member of the YMCA for 18 months. If I went to the YMCA today and slid my card through the card thing or whatever you do, you know what they would say to me? You've never been here before. I could go sit in the parking lot at the YMCA. I could go sit on the bench press machine every day. And nothing in my life is going to change. You know what begins to change? So when I begin to pull that pin and put it on 25 and, you know, start <laughs> grunting it out, that's what begins to change in my life. And what we're going to look at today are three verses, three quick verses. But, but Paul shifts his thinking. He, he, he shifts his, his focus. See, the first 15 verses of, of Ephesians, he's painted this incredible picture of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has done. And, and now he pivots at verse 15, and he begins to talk to this group of churches the same way that I think Scripture speaks to us today. And that it is, no, it is, it is not good enough to just know the first 14 verses of Ephesians. But what do we do with the first 14 verses of Ephesians? And how do they change? And how do they shape our lives moving forward? So if you have a Bible, I want you to take it out. And what I want to do is I just want to read the verses we're going to look at today. Ephesians 1, we're going to be verses 15, 16, 17, and part of 18. And I just want to read, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the text today. For this reason, or your translation may say this, therefore... And any Bible scholars in the room know that when you see therefore, you're supposed to ask, what's it? Therefore. therefore. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and, my love, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Let me pray for us. Father, every word that's going to come out of my mouth today is just a word. That's all it is. It's just a word. And I pray, though, that every word that is spoken today would go deep in the hearts and the lives of people and that you would have them hear what needs to be heard. That my agenda and, and my thinking about this would get out of the way and that the Spirit would speak into the lives of every single person here. Let these words today come alive in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Paul says here in verse 15, he says, for this reason, and I already said it, you have to ask the question when you see it, therefore, what's it there for? And, and, and what Paul is referencing here is he's saying, for this reason, going back to verse, the beginning of verse 3. And we've already covered this. I'm going to review. He said, for this reason. And what he means by that is he's saying, because you are loved and chosen by God in verse 4. Because he has adopted you into the family of God, verse 5. Because he has redeemed you, verse 7. Because he has given you an inheritance, verse 11. And because he has sealed you, verse 13. For this reason. Because I have, and if you're an underliner, circler, highlighter person in your Bible, here's the first thing to circle, highlight today. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, because I've seen your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul wasn't there. News had to travel to Paul because, remember, Paul was writing this letter to this group of churches in a Roman jail. And there was something about the, the, the passion of their faith that made it all the way to Paul. And he says, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, that Greek word there, faith, is translated, i got to be careful when I say this, pistesis. P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistesis. And, and if you look it up, what it, what it translates out to is confidence, truth, trustworthiness, reliability, and assurance. Matter of fact, every time this word is used in the Greek in the New Testament, except for one time, that's exactly what the writers in the New Testament are referencing. Because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, because of their confidence, their trust, their trustworthiness, their reliability, their assurance in the Lord Jesus, because of these things. So the first thing I want you to write down is this today. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you four ways, four things to think about when we start talking about following Jesus that come out of this passage of Scripture. The first one is this, is that following Jesus is cultivated with faith. You have to begin there. The thing I'm getting ready to do in my backyard now that all these trees and all this clearing is out is I'm getting ready to go in and I'm going to plant a bunch of grass seed. But you know what I can't do? I can't just throw that seed out haphazardly. What I've got to do is I've got to cultivate that ground so that when that seed gets on the ground, it will re the ground will receive that seed and that seed has a better chance to grow. And the same thing is with our faith. Our, our, uh, the same thing is with following Jesus. Is following Jesus, it has to be, our faith has to be cultivated towards Jesus. So, begs the question, how do you cultivate faith? How does that happen? I mean, it's easy to cultivate the ground when we start talking about planting grass. So you just go out there with a rake or you get one of those little fancy things that pokes the holes all in the ground. I mean, that's easy. But, 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 but what about our faith in Jesus? How do we cultivate faith as it relates to following Jesus? Well, I want to give you two environments. There's many, and there's many ways, but I want to give you two environments where faith is cultivated. Because the reason I want to pick these two is because I think they're the most practical for every one of us, no matter what life stage you're in. And two environments are this. The first one is circumstances. Everybody will wake up tomorrow in a circumstance. Everybody. It doesn't matter. 
Your bank account will be lower than you expected it to be. You will get the phone call about a relative that's in poorer health than you thought they were going to be. You will get the phone call from the doctor telling you your health is not what you thought it was going to be or that you didn't get the job you hoped to get. We cannot avoid circumstances, good or bad, in our life, no matter how hard we try. And in the middle of those circumstances is when we have an opportunity to cultivate our faith and orient our faith towards following Jesus. See, the temptation is, for every one of us, and the temptation for me is to do this. The temptation is to interpret my faith in my circumstances. Well, I didn't get the, the job, or I didn't get the, the, the diagnosis from the doctor, or my relationship with my kids is fractured, or whatever it may be. So there, that must mean that my relationship with God is not good. That means that this faith that I thought I had in Jesus must not be there. That's the temptation for us, is to interpret our faith through or in our circumstances. But the thing that I, I hope today will flip for you is this, is that you interpret your circumstances through your faith. You see, James 1 says this, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Every one of us, we, we have to begin to interpret our circumstances through our faith. The things that we know to be true about God. The things that we know to be true about Jesus. We remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. Those first 14 verses of Ephesians 1. We remember that. We remember what Christ has done in our life. How God sustained us. He provided for us. He cared for us. And we interpret our circumstances through our faith. The difference of that is instead of sitting around going, well, God must not love me. God must not like me. God, God must not keep his promises. The difference becomes, God, I'm facing a mountain and I do not know what to do. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your son went to the cross. He died and he rose again on the third day. And so what is this job to you? What is this relationship that is broken and fractured right now to you? You can do anything. As we're going to look in just a few weeks, Ephesians 3.20, that he is exceedingly able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. So we hold to that and we cling to that and our faith becomes cultivated in the midst of our circumstances. The second area is this, is in our relationships. Another word you could put on that is Community. Because here's the thing, you can't just cultivate your faith alone. I just read the, the quick little biography of William Wilberforce. He was an uh, incredible revolutionist uh, to the slave trade that was happening in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And this powerful quote, it was the, 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 the biography was by John Piper. There's a powerful quote in there that he made. He said that, that this man proves that any man can change, but he cannot do it alone. And if you are living out your faith in isolation, if you are attempting to live out your life and faith in Jesus in isolation, and don't get me wrong, there are times for seclusion. There are times to pull away from the crowds. Jesus modeled that. Johnny and I were even talking about that this morning before the message. We see Jesus leaving his disciples 
for a night. Not months, not years. He stepped away so that he could get in tune with the Father. And what some of us are tempted to do, because we're facing these circumstances and we don't know how to live it out, we don't, we don't know the right questions to ask, we're tempted to just pull away and just try to figure this thing out alone. And your faith, as it relates to following Jesus, can get cultivated more in the context of relationships than almost any other way, other than private spiritual disciplines, than almost any other way that I know how. And the way that we do that here at Grace Hill, just real quick, the way that we do that here at Grace Hill is really primarily two ways. One is serving. Because when you serve, you begin to get in this mindset of generosity. You begin to get in this mindset of giving your life, that it is really better to, to give than it is to receive. That you're not the only ones with kids who lose their mind. That you're not the only one who has a spouse who, you know, doesn't always do what you wish that they would always do. You know, you, when you begin to serve, you begin to see other people in the other environment is in life groups. Life groups are where over time you begin to ask those hard questions. You begin to have a safe place that is smaller than this place on a Sunday morning to be able to look at somebody and say, you know, I, that dude stood up this morning and talked for 35 minutes, but I don't have a clue what he said, and I don't have a clue what that means for me on Monday. Can you help me? Your faith gets cultivated in circumstances and relationships. But it's not just about having faith. You see, faith has to express itself. Paul goes on and he says this. He continues. He says, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So here's the second thing, is that following Jesus reveals itself with love. Following Jesus reveals itself in love. We've talked about this before. Jesus gave some really strong words. He actually said a new commandment. Once before, a couple of chapters earlier in John, he said, I'll sum up all the law in this way. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then when he sat with the disciples, he said, I'm actually giving you a new commandment. Love one another. By this, in this way, the world will know that you're my disciples. Love is not something that we just talk about. Love is something that we do. It's something that we express. And this makes sense to us in every area of our lives. Oftentimes not on the giving end, but on the receiving end, does it not? My kids say they love me, but look how they act. My spouse says they love me. They're never around. We get it on the receiving end, don't we? What Paul is saying here is he has been so moved by their faith in Jesus and their love towards all the saints. So here's a question I want to ask you. Is your faith revealing itself? Is your faith revealing itself in the area of love? Is it doing that? Is your faith expressing itself? Is it coming out in love? Here's another great question to ask yourself is this. Is what do I think about when I think about the people of God? What do I think about when I think about the people of God? Because that's what Paul says. It's, he says it starts with the saints. Your love towards all the saints. 
So what do you think about when you think about the people of God? So following Jesus, our faith is cultivated in, in, in this area of, of relationships, and it's cultivated in this area of circumstances. But he goes on, and I love this. I love the, the heart. You see, Paul says that you've done this. You, you, I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your love. And then Paul begins to model it. Listen to what he says, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, this would have been a daily repeated pattern for Paul. Remember Paul's story. Jewish background. Religious of the religious. And the, and the religious leaders at the time had this ritual of, of daily prayers. And, and so I love this, this glimpse that we get into Paul's life. Is he took something that was so sort of tainted... But it was a discipline that he could carry over into following Jesus. And he said, I'm going to continue. He even said, pray without ceasing. This is something that Paul had cultivated in his life. And I'll tell you this. There is hardly a more loving thing that you can do for someone than to pray for them. There's hardly a more loving thing that you can do for someone than to pray for them. So I asked this question. Just as I was writing my notes out, I asked this question. Who would you give thanks for? Because he's giving thanks. He's praying for these people. He's rejoicing over what he's heard from them. Who would you give thanks for? And why would you give thanks for them? You answer those two questions and your prayer life will change in the morning. He goes on, verse 17, that the God, this is what he prays for. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, and it's three things, mark these down, spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And I love the way the New Living, I'm reading out of the ESV, I love the way the New Living translates this. It just, it just gives it, it just makes it a little bit more approachable. It says this, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. So what's the third thing? This is what Paul's saying. Hey, you know what? I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you because I've heard of your faith. And, and I'm so proud of you, group of churches. I'm so proud of you because your love is expressing itself towards the saints. But here's what Paul's communicating to us by this prayer is that this is that following Jesus never stops. They didn't arrive. It wasn't like Paul said, hey, congratulations. Your faith, I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love. You're done. You're good. No, 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 no. Paul says, I'm, I thank God for you. I'm so grateful because I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of the way that your love is expressing. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray that you'll continue. I, I want to pray that for this spirit of wisdom so that you can continue to grow in the ways of God. I'm going to pray for a revelation of knowledge so that you can continue to understand God and continue to understand his will. And I'm going to pray that the eyes of your heart become enlightened. And, and I want to, I can I pastor here for just a minute? 
can I, can I pastor you for just a minute? Okay? Let me, let, me, let me put this big bubble around it. I love you and I care for you. But I want to pastor you for just a minute. I want to say this, is that if you're depending on the church 100% of the time to manufacture your spiritual growth, you will be 100% frustrated 100% of the time. Let me say it again. If you're depending 100%, if you're relying on the church 100% for your spiritual growth, then you will be frustrated with the church. You will be dissatisfied with the church. You will begin to look over the fence and see what else is going on out there with the church 100% of the time. I know we've got some teachers in the room, and I want to ask this simple question. I get about 35 minutes with you guys on a Sunday morning. That's my average, give or take. I'm going to go long today, so just get ready for it. But I get about 35 minutes on a Sunday morning with you guys. Now, teachers that are in the room or people that have a heart to teach, a bent to teach, maybe you've got teaching in your background. If you got to teach your students in your classroom for 35 minutes a week, and then let's take in attendance patterns about a third of the time, okay? How prepared would they be to go on and go to the next grade? Or how prepared would they be to go off into the world? You see, some, some of the reason why some of you guys have bounced from church to church to church to church to church is not the church. It's because you have bought into this lie that the church is here to lay out a buffet for you. And that the one hour you're here on a Sunday morning, a third of the time, is the only time you're ever going to get fed. And then you wake up on Monday morning and you go into the office and that boss of a jerk or that boss of a coworker continues to come and just pile it on. And you lose confidence in your faith in God. You lose. So now it becomes the church's fault. And, and please hear me, guys. I'm trying to love you and I'm trying to pastor you. But what Paul is, is aiming here, and I think the message that I'm trying to get across to you today is you have got to own it Monday through Saturday. I believe in what we do here on Sundays. I believe in what we do here on life groups. I, I am more passionate about it today than I've ever been in my life. But if this is it for you, if this is it, you're going to be frustrated with the church 100% of the time. Because what you get here on Sunday morning, I pray is great. And I pray it begins to make you think about God. And I pray it begins to just rejuvenate your heart. And I pray the songs that we sing just fill you with joy. Or maybe they help you just get through a long, bad weekend. But it will not be enough. Just go home today and ask your spouse, Honey, if I spend an hour with you a third of the time every week, would that be okay? It wouldn't. So we have to begin to cultivate our lives because it never stops. It never ends. Our relationship with Jesus, again, living things grow. Psalm 119 says this, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. And what I want to challenge you with today is if you've been following Jesus for a while, 
if you've been on this journey for a while, I mean, you've got some miles behind, you've got some stories to tell, I want to challenge you to be engaged the most, lead the way, sit down front, sing the loudest, lift your hands, don't go passive, because here's what I know and here's what I'm excited about, is there are people that walk in this door every single day, every single Sunday, who are more on the trying to find Jesus right now side of the equation than they are on the following Jesus side of the equation. And guess who they're looking to? Guess who they're following and watching? Those of us who've been following Jesus for a while. And they're trying to make their decision about whether or not they're going to follow Jesus based on the evidence that they see of faith in the people who have been following Jesus or at least professing to follow Jesus for a while. He goes on, he says that you may know the hope to which he has called, to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the hope that he has called you? See, verse 18, this is what I love about Paul's writing, is it always connects back to something else. You see, verse 18 here connects back to verse 4, which is this. It says this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the hope to which he is called. Now you say, hey, I'm not holy and I'm not blameless. How am I supposed to be holy and blameless before him? The good news for you and the good news for me is Jesus was. Jesus was holy and blameless for us in the sight of God. God's word says that he became sin who knew no sin. So we have this, this opportunity to step into what God has called us to become because of what Jesus Christ has already done. That's the hope that we have. So here's the fourth thing. We talk about following Jesus that I want to give you today is this. If you wanted a simple definition of what following Jesus means, it's this. Following Jesus is becoming more like Jesus. That's what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is becoming more like Jesus. I've been amazed over the last five months as I have read through the Gospels repeatedly over and over and over. Some days it's been four chapters, some days it's been half a chapter. I've been amazed at what I've seen in my own life as I've read through this repeatedly. I've been amazed that as I have seen Jesus' selflessness, I've been confronted with my selfishness. I've been amazed that as I've seen Jesus' humility, I've been confronted with my own arrogance and pride. I've been amazed that as I've read this over and over and over again, I see Jesus' words, and I don't just see his words, but I also see his actions, is that he said this, I came not to be served, but to serve. Martin Luther in one of his books, he, he, he put this incredible, there was this incredible illustration to make his point. There was, there was this picture on one side of the page, and it had Jesus down on his feet, washing the disciples' feet. And in, in the day of Luther, there was all this tension and this conflict between the church. Because the, the Pope had almost risen to be above God in a way, the way that they were positioning themselves, as they were the ultimate authority on all matters. And Luther showed this picture of the Pope sitting on this throne with his foot sticking out and someone kissing the foot 
of the Pope. And as I've read the Gospels over and over and over again, and I've seen Jesus' life over and over and over again, I have been so confronted with the fact that Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served, and yet so often times I see my own life. And I'm expecting and I'm waiting on someone to come serve me. Here's the good news for you and the good news for me is that the more we set our eyes on Jesus and the more we say, I'm going to pay the price to become like Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, the more Jesus begins to reveal in our own lives what needs to change. And here's the good news for you and the good news for me is Jesus wants to help you make those changes in your life. So four things, following Jesus is cultivated with faith, following Jesus reveals itself with love, following Jesus never stops, you never arrive, you never end. I look back here at Mr. Tommy, Mr. Tommy back over here, Mr. Tommy raise your hand, he didn't know I was going to do this, Mr. Tommy stands out there and hands out little suckers to our kiddos every single week and when Mr. Tommy's not here, it has been a bad day for some two year olds, let me tell you. (laughs) Mr. Tommy opened up his living room to his home in 1991 to some of the original folks that wanted to gather together to, to form this church. Mr. Tommy's been following Jesus for a long time, hadn't you, Tommy? It never stops, does it? Never stops. Following Jesus is cultivated with faith. It reveals itself. It expresses itself with love. Following Jesus never stops. And following Jesus is becoming more like Jesus. So I'm going to give you one simple thing to do this week. Like, what, what do I do? How do how, what, what does this mean for me? I want to give you one simple thing, and that's this. This week, I want to challenge every one of you to read through the book of Ephesians beginning tomorrow. One chapter a day. That's all you got to do. Chapter 1 is 23 verses. Even if you're a slow reader, that won't take very long. 23 verses. Read it and answer one question. One question is all you got to answer. Not 15. It's not a big long Bible study. You don't even have to break out your journal. I want you to answer one question. In light of what I've just read, what is my response today? In light of what I've just read, what is my response today? When you run in on Tuesday with the fact that we were once dead in our sins, but God When you run in on Wednesday and you begin to see Ephesians 3.20, that to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ever ask or think. When you run in on Friday and you begin to read about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then on Saturday you begin to read about putting on the whole armor of God. It will change your life. One chapter a day. Answer one question a day in light of what I've just read. What is my response? And so for some of you, you may be hearing you go, hey, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about the Bible. I, I, I don't read the Bible. None of these words make sense to me. I, I'm not in a life group yet. What, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm dead serious. This is my cell number. This is how committed to this I am. This is my cell number. You call me. You call me. I'll, I'll help try to talk you through it. 
I got chapter one down pretty good. I hadn't moved on to chapter two a whole lot yet, but I'll help you talk through tomorrow if you need it. But that's my cell number. You call me. And we'll talk about it because you cannot and you should not have to live your faith out alone. You say, hey, I need a Bible. I don't even have a Bible. Man, all I got is my phone. Hey, that's good enough. Start there. But if you want a physical Bible, I'm dead serious. I'm out here at the Next Steps area right after church. I've got several Bibles in my office. I'll just give you one. I'll either give it to you or loan you one so you can order one off Amazon. I want everybody in this building that a year from today, you to be able to look back on your life and you to go, you know what? I'm following Jesus more today than I was this time last year. That's a win. That's a win for your family. It's a win for your, your work. It's a win for this church, and it's a win in your life. And that's where it has to begin.